0: In this episode of the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast, I feature Cody Brown. She is a painter from Baltimore. She received her BFA from Tyler School of Art, Temple University, and her MFA from Yale University. Her work examines how groups, couples, and solitary figures explore self-presentation in both private and public life bodies inhabit tightly framed intimate spaces in paintings that expose our vulnerabilities and the tenuous nature of our connections and relationships. Her recent solo exhibitions include Only in the Darkness Can You See the Stars at Shulamit Azarian in Los Angeles and Electric Bloom at Taymor Grain in London. She has exhibited both nationally and internationally, including 1969 Gallery and Richard Heller She is a recipient of several fellowships and residencies, including the Fine Arts Work Center, Skowhegan School of Painting and Sculpture, Fountainhead, Vermont Studio Center, and the Yale Norfolk School of Art. Her work has been written about in the New York Times, The Village Voice, Juxtapose, and New American Painting. And her works are also in the permanent collections of the Institute of Contemporary Art, Miami amongst a few. She currently lives and works in Philadelphia. Please visit my website for her full bio. Welcome to this episode of the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast featuring Cody Brown. Enjoy. Thank you, Cody, for joining me on my Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. It's a pleasure to have you.
1: It's great to be here and so glad we get to talk.
0: Thank you, thank you. When did you discover your artistic passion?
1: I have been drawing really since I can remember. And it's funny, most childhood pictures of me are like hunched over a sketchbook or with markers or a watercolor pad. Um, my mom was a teacher and still is, but uh, she would drop us off at, my grandparents house a lot for childcare. So, you know, my grandparents, I think being older, not really having the energy to keep up with us, just always kind of inundated my brother and I with craft projects. And my grandmother was a science teacher. So she just always had a bunch of kind of like interactive toys and kind of puzzles and games and coloring books and things. So I think from an early age, I just loved kind of the time that would pass. I got really absorbed while I was making things. It was like a whole afternoon would go by and I would look up and, you know, my mom would be there to come pick me up. And it was just so easy for me to become fascinated with this world that I could make all on my own. And it's just something that I always felt hyper-focused on, too. When I was, I think, in the first grade, we had this project where we had to make an autobiography. And, you know, of course, the questions of where you were born, where did you grow up, what sports do you like to play, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? And mine says an artist. And I have this really funny little drawing of me with, like, a beret on and an easel. Um, So it's just kind of been from the beginning, something that I've loved to do and just felt kind of endlessly entertained by.
0: Do you remember what your early drawings were of?
1: They were always me playing with, you know, my friends, my brother, an animal, very kind of, you know, typical kid drawings where it's like the grass is, you know, the bottom, you know, three inches of the paper and there's a little, you know, rectangular house and then a bright sun in the corner and yeah usually it was always I was in the picture and then it would be me plus you know whatever other characters being you know my family or animals or playing soccer or dancing or something like that uh so I mean I've always I think but you know I think most kids always would start you know with drawing stick figures and people and trying to kind of figure out how the picture plane works, you know, with the ground, you know, in the foreground and this, you know, house and the sun and and kind of figuring out space in a really rudimentary way.
0: Do you remember what artists influenced you early on?
1: Early on? Well, I was really lucky that even though the high school I went to had a pretty limited art program, as in, you know, maybe a handful of art classes, but there was no, you know, kind of advanced art there. My mom knew that this was something I was really serious about. She found some like community college art classes. And through those classes, they would take us to museums and things like that. And I would also go to see art with my mom because she, she also loves art. So really from... A pretty young age, I was at museums looking at Salvador Dali and Picasso and Modigliani and Cezanne and Matisse and those kind of very celebrated artists. I think of of a of that kind of canon, and I was drawn to e- kind of equally to artists like Dali as a surrealist, and was fascinated with the world that he. Created, but then also, too, with things that were, I don't know, maybe felt a little more mundane and of the everyday, like still life paintings and paintings of figures, especially paintings by Modigliani and Picasso. They're their female figures, I really was attracted to. And I think it kind of took me a while after I started making figurative paintings, that those paintings really had an impression on me, those those figurative paintings, that I really loved seeing these women in their work and knew that it was a really kind of interesting relationship that the sitter had with the maker. And it wasn't until later that I kind of really processed this dynamic between the model and muse and the artist and seeing these women you know painted by these men is kind of the epitome of of the male gaze and it got me kind of thinking about like who these women were and what role that they were playing in this in art history this kind of monumental role but as this entirely kind of in a in a in a way where it seemed like there wasn't that much of their voice in hmm. in the narrative
0: that's interesting yeah. did you ever lean towards abstraction
1: i did actually when i went to college my undergrad i went to temple university and donna nelson was my first painting teacher who is such an incredible artist she's a really celebrated abstract painter and I think a lot of times as a student, you just kind of fall in love with your professors (laughs) and you just really admire them and are kind of swept up in their energy and their passion and their vision of the world. And you kind of take what they do as what should be done or the serious thing to do. And I think a lot of times as an art student, you take yourself too seriously <laughs> very <laughs> much so <laughs> which is kind of beautiful you know that like you have that much focus and that much drive but looking back it's it's kind of cringe worthy thinking you know how how much you you take that on but through her i yeah i just fell in love with abstract painting and right out of college i was I really wanted to be an abstract painter, which was kind of funny, even though I had excelled much more with figure drawing classes and had kind of a natural inclination for the human form and for space and scale and things like that on a more kind of realistic plane. But I just really wanted to be an abstract painter. And it kind of, I made some okay paintings. They weren't bad. They weren't bad, uh, but they weren't great. And I got to a point out of college, I had moved to New York because I couldn't for the life of me find in Philly a job that would pay me enough to afford to have a studio and an apartment. So luckily a friend who owned a fabrication studio offered me a great job that was really flexible. And so I was still able to make work But in New York, I got kind of lost because coming from Philadelphia, where I had just finished school, I had a really solid kind of group of friends who I was in the studio with. In New York, everything kind of stripped away and I was by myself in the studio. I didn't have school. I was just alone with my own thoughts. And while I was painting, I just wound up getting very frustrated almost every time I would get to the studio after work, stay until two in the morning, be really unhappy with what I made because it all just kind of turned into mush because what I realized was I didn't really have a reason to make one decision over another. Why was something? green instead of blue or why was something this shape instead of that shape so there it felt like I was just kind of swimming in this void of mush and I was really unhappy and from there I realized okay you need to strip everything away and kind of start from the basics again and from that I realized that one way I could approach that was by making self-portraits because I, I don't work from photographs. Sometimes I'll use a reference if I need something specific or et cetera, but I don't ever work directly from a photo. So I knew I needed to have something physical in the studio to work from. So if it was a self-portrait, then I could use a mirror, et cetera. So I started with these self-portraits and from those, the paintings became about kind of documenting this very solitary, very kind of searching existence. I was living in New York. I had spent, you know, a lot of time biking home at, you know, three in the morning, just being out in the world and seeing, you know, New York and it's in its best and it's worst And two, just navigating the world as a a woman who's by yourself, you definitely can feel, feel how you're perceived and how people respond to you in a very specific kind of way. So I think I was processing a lot of what it meant to be, uh, to have a feminized body in, in this kind of space and what authority I had over my own self and just kind of what all of this meant in terms of being a person and specifically a woman in the world. So I think through making these self-portraits, I was able to, to process a lot of my growth in my early 20s and my own understanding of my identity and sexuality and where I kind of sought solace and escape. And I've always really loved nightlife and, you know, kind of would spend time just observing people out and my imagination, which I feel like has always been one of my strongest qualities is that I, from, you know, seeing everyone operating in this kind of crazy, crazy nightscape, I was able to kind of extrapolate these stories and these narratives and make these fantasies about my life and about you know, what kind of world I could create.
0: I love your work. So let me ask you a question about the painting titled Bouquet 2021. Yes. What inspired you, motivated you to go in that angle?
1: I have always incorporated flowers in my work. This is the kind of the first time where it was a solitary kind of still life. But I've always loved that flowers hold this multitude of meanings and I always love giving people flowers. I love receiving flowers. I love that you know you can kind of turn romantic expectations up on its own head with you know what it means to for a woman to give another woman flowers, a woman to give a man flowers, things like that. I just I just love the power that they have symbolically. And I also love their connection to art history and to still life painting and things like that, and that they can contain so many messages and different flowers have different meanings and that they really experience right before our eyes, kind of the cycle of life of growing and blooming and achieving its kind of full peak and then slowly kind of wilting and dying and, all of that. So I wanted to make a painting that was a bouquet kind of for a body of work. It was like a, you know, what I would give to the paintings if I could give them something. And the first one I made, it just, it was the last painting I made for a show and it, it just made so much sense to me. And after that, it's, I've made a handful of them and a few have been, you know, for a body of work, but then they've also been for specific people or even for just a moment or a mood I was in. And I love that they kind of contain a privacy and that I'm really the only one who I guess can understand them fully (laughs) because so much, uh, I think so much of making, Work, especially in this moment, um, is that there are certain things people expect you to make, or you know, there are certain things that are signifiers of something that is specifically, you know, Cody Brown's work or you know anyone's work. And I loved that it no one expected me to make those paintings, and because of that, they felt like they were just for me. And a lot of making art. I think has you have to maintain something, some form of privacy or some sort of aspect that is just for you when so much of what you make becomes it leaves the studio and it becomes kind of a outside of you. It, it's like once it's out of the out of the studio, it's it's kind of goes on to live its own life. So I liked that there was this. It almost, yeah, it felt like a secret I was having with this <laughs> painting, uh, which felt really good.
0: And how do you feel as you approach a blank canvas?
1: I I always feel kind of one of two things, because I'll either make a preliminary sketch that's that's pretty worked out. It's not in color, it's in black and white, so the composition might be very laid out, but color is still kind of up in the air. So I have this way of planning a painting through the drawing, but it still is, color is still left open, pattern is still left open, lighting is still left open. So if I approach it in that way, then there's just kind of calm, methodical, step-by-step process I have of making but then maybe 10% of the time I just have an idea roughly in my head. And then I just go for it on the canvas. And there's something very anxious about that space of, of painting because it feels like the polar opposite of my other way of working. But then there's this real kind of energy and fuel and excitement that I think I need in the studio. It's great that I can kind of plan out paintings and, know what steps i need to make to you know get where i want to go with them but i think i need that level of uncertainty or you know adrenaline or that it might not work out or that i might discover something completely new while making it because if it was if it was the case that i knew how everything would turn out all the time I would lose interest really quickly. So I I find that I need to always have some element of uncertainty while I'm making to keep me engaged and just wanting to continue to learn as I make because I feel like how I've learned about painting, and this maybe sounds dumb, but it's just really through painting that it's not about, you know, really studying color theory books or techniques or things like that, that it's you make the mistakes, you figure out how to correct the mistakes or just move forward from them. And you absorb this type of knowledge that becomes very muscle memory bound, like very physical. And I ha- in order to keep working that muscle, I have to keep working through this kind of path of the unknown, even though, you know, I've been down that Road before, but just having some aspect of of discovery.
0: Do you listen to music while you work?
1: I do. I usually I usually start the day in the studio with a little bit of the news, and then I have kind of a rotation of podcasts that I listen to. Which also is why I was very excited to do this because I'm a big uh, podcast nerd. <laughs> And uh, I have kind of a rotation of um, comedy podcasts, true crime podcasts, uh, storytelling. I really need a kind of balance of storytelling and humor in a podcast while I'm working because I need something to absorb me, but I also need something as kind of a release. So if something's funny or just, you know, you have if you listen to something for so long or listen to a certain hosts for so long, you become connected to them and attached to them and their life story. So it's like, I, I feel like I'm listening to people who I know and I know on Thursdays I'm listening to, you know, this, this certain group or that certain group. So it kind of provides this voice in the studio because it is very solitary. So I think that that kind of provides me with some, some comfort and some entertainment. And then usually towards the end of the day, when I only have maybe an hour or so left, I'll turn on music as kind of an energizing, just switch up. And it'll. I try to kind of step away from what I'm working on and walk around the studio, you know, listen to music. I, you know, of course, like dance a little bit in the studio. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) Of course I have these giant windows that face this condo building. And I'm like, I wonder what they've seen. But you just learn not to care after a while.
0: Exactly. Um,
1: So then I'll have kind of this like burst of energy towards the end that I always hope will kind of jog me out of this, you know, I'm always hyper kind of focused and really sometimes not in a good way absorbed in whatever I'm working on. And then I'll step back and realize, Oh, that's not really working or it's too small or colors off. So if at the end of the day, I can kind of take some time to consciously step back from what I'm doing. I feel like it allows me to just kind of check in with the painting as a whole rather than being so zoned in on one part so the music adds this kind of element of of um yeah of energy and and I'll get really and sometimes I do just listen to music all day like especially if I get really into a certain album with a body of work like I can usually attach albums or at least a few songs with certain paintings because I mean I feel like I don't even know what painting would be like if music didn't exist. I agree. (laughs) When,
0: uh, When do the titles come into the creative process?
1: It's usually either I know the title immediately or it's really a struggle to find it at the end and the gallery is like asking me for the PDF and for the info and I'm like, oh crap, what is this painting called? So it's either so easy or kind of a struggle to get there, but and a lot of times it will come from music and from songs. And like, there's a lot of Fiona Apple references. There's a lot of there's a lot of Prince references in the early work. Just there are certain artists who I just feel like are able to articulate the things that I'm trying to paint. Or they're, they're able to actually, I feel like, capture something that is so universal but unattainable so much about the human experience that, to me, it's incredible that someone has the ability to do that and to do that through lyrics, but also through music um, and I know nothing I'm the least musical person so (laughs) I could not say anything technical about that but I just feel like they do so much of what I'm trying to do but in a different way and that when it really like if a song or if an album or if an artist really resonates with me then it's usually because of some sort of shared experience of what they're making music about. So I'm trying to kind of make my version of that. What do you think is the purpose of art? Ah, the purpose of art. Wow, Phyllis, what a question. (laughs) (laughs) Fully loaded. (laughs) Right. I think that for me, the purpose of art, I think... I do think imagination is so important because not just as like a form of escapism, but as a form of accessing empathy. And I think about this a lot when I'm reading, I love fiction and I try to read all the time and from writers from all over the world. And I've, been doing that from a really young age my mom really encouraged that uh, because she said you know it's this is how you can understand people who are different from you from hearing their voice from literally you're reading from first person narrative you're reading the words I on a page so automatically our brains try to calibrate us with this author and with their story and I feel like painting and art can do that it can it can put the viewer in a position that they feel like they can imagine this scenario or they can relate to it in some way, or they can see themselves or their experiences in the work in some way. And I feel like that allows us to connect with someone that you otherwise might not have imagined you connect with. And that through kind of envisioning another world or someone else's vision of the world, we're able to better connect with one another.
0: I like that answer. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You passed the test. Okay. (laughs) Cool. (laughs) Um, How do you keep learning?
1: I try to... I think like in a more holistic sense, I think I'm trying to keep learning by just being more present in the world and by slowing down more. And that sometimes can mean just being outside and not having my headphones on and walking around with my dog and just trying to just absorb what's happening around me not be so caught up in kind of the circuit that is my own head and to be able to try to look at things with a new perspective. And when I look at art, I'm really, I'm currently kind of revisiting some artists of art history that I kind of hated, but I'm realizing that there are a lot, there's so much that I can learn from something that I dismissed from a younger age because I thought it was silly or not serious or um, just kind of not my taste, but so I think kind of revisiting things that, yeah, you maybe thought you didn't connect with or that were kind of beyond what you're interested in is is really, at least for me right now, kind of really valuable is kind of trying to check my like cocky 22 year old self and just try to be in more open. And, and like I had kind of mentioned with, with reading, that's always something that's really important to me is just always be trying to absorb, absorb, absorb more voices and more perspectives in the world, because it's just so easy, especially kind of my setup right now to live in, in a very, very, very small bubble. Um, and I don't want that for myself because it's just a, it's boring and b uh, I want to be as engaged with the world as I can, even though I am, I am a pretty solitary person, but I feel like I always want to be, be open to, to what, you know, the world has to offer.
0: I like that answer again. Uh, (laughs) This has been a great interview. So this is our last question. And that is, what do you feel is your role as an artist?
1: I think, well, why I really make the paintings that I'm making is because I feel like there are images that I haven't seen that I want to see. And, you know, that applies to a range of things, but I think so much of it is that I feel like, again, what I'm interested in is just knowing more about people's experiences and their perspective. And I feel like I have so much that I've internalized and processed and experienced in the world that I I think that in terms of an image, I'm really interested in how that can how or how that can translate into an image. And I think that it's there are things that people understand, and I would love to for people to see that through through my work and to connect to maybe some experiences they haven't they haven't seen kind of materialized yet. And a lot of times that will mean kind of referencing things that do exist but kind of through my own interpretation. So I think that, you know, as much as I can create or make, make my vision or my understanding of the world become real uh, through the studio, that that's, that's really, that's really all, all I can do. And I hope that people continue to connect with the work and, relate to the work and understand it through their own lens
0: well i'm grateful that you artists exist both visual artists and musicians i love music so yes. thank you so much for your time i'm delighted to have had the opportunity to feature you cody
1: Great, thank you so much, Hollis. It's been it's been a pleasure, Phyllis. I'm sorry, I said Hollis. It's said okay. Like, it's
0: Hollis, Phyllis, Phyllis <laughs> Hollis. Either works. <laughs> I actually I actually like Hollis better as a first Hollis name. Is cute. Yeah, it's I know, cute. I know, I know. I think it's definitely better than Phyllis. <laughs> but uh, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. For additional content, please visit CerebralWomen.com and be sure to follow Cerebral Women on Instagram.